heathens. Hey, heathens. <laughs> it's been a while. Far too long and happy fucking Halloween. Happy fucking Halloween. Happy All Hallows Eve. I'm so excited about Halloween. Me too. It's the best fucking time of the year. It is. And this is the best day for the Witchery Podcast to come back after... Oh my God. Honestly, yes, how long? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember this earlier before we started recording. How long has it been since we recorded last? Was it January? It was oh January. Word. It was January. Oh Almost God. a year. Life has been nuts. Um, we've, <laughs> we've had a lot going on, haven't we, Jess? Far too much. Far too much. Yep. But we're here. We, we survived it all. Well, I mean, it's not been that bad. We've just had like new jobs and, well, I think COVID, moving, COVID renovations, um, all sorts of stuff, but, but fine stuff. Like we're okay. We're alive, which I think is the main thing. Well, alive we say and, we're alive. yeah, but uh, I'm not sure how intact our sanity is. Oh, I think we lost that even before we started the podcast. And I mean the actual whole podcast, not even just today. I don't think that's really been that intact. But that's fine, because I think we should appreciate all of these little idiosyncrasies that we have. Agreed. Agreed, because that's what makes us interesting, apparently. So my therapist says... (laughs) Oh really? Oh, I like your therapist. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he or she should be my therapist. Probably needed after this year. It probably is needed. But we're back, and it's Halloween. It is. Um, do you have any big plans for Halloween? Um, I am going to actually. Well, considering it's Monday and it's work day and a little bit dull, I'm not going to go out and partay. But I have been working my way through the magnificent list of horror films that have been released in 2022 because this has really been a year for horror. There are still so many on my watch list that I haven't gotten to because it has been a crazy year, but there are some fantastic movies. There are, and some that could end up as witchery podcast episodes because some of them are based on true horror stories, on true horror. Um, It's amazing. I was watching um, Barbarian, which is the one with Justin Long and Bill Skarsgård and Georgina Campbell. I loved that. I, I didn't read the synopsis or anything before, and um, I thought, I'm just going to actually surprise myself. I try to ignore reviews. I'm trying not to read reviews of things because I actually want to go into horror films this sort of currently not knowing at all what they're about. I just want to see the title, maybe see the, you know, the, the the poster for the film and then just watch it and, and be surprised. I was surprised. I didn't know what I was getting with Barbarian. And um, yeah, it threw quite a few curveballs all the way through. It's amazing. Very strange film, but in a brilliant way. But the strange horror films are generally the best. I did see a few stinkers. Not stinkers, but I saw a couple of ones where I love strange things, but I was like, really? (laughs) Um, I'm not going to name them, but there have been a couple this year. There are a couple that made me go, ooh. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, I started watching the um, Cabinet of Curiosities because I am such a Del Toro fan. Um, Oh. The Graveyard of Rats, um, not so sure of. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I like that it's a like a compilation of different directors and different stories. And um, so that's quite cool. And it's beautifully shot as it would be because, you know, Del Toro is a genius. So, yeah, that's that's what I've been watching. I saw the trailer and I have to say the second I saw it, I thought I'm watching that. But funnily enough, a couple of people I know who started it said "Mm, they couldn't get into it, which Mm. surprised me because it's Del Toro. And it looked visually and aesthetically outstanding. Oh, it is. So if anything, I'll keep watching it just for that. Um, But that's not necessarily enough. That's the problem. 
even if it is aesthetically yes. brilliant sometimes you need a bit more no i was just gonna say but that's the thing though is that he's just the executive producer it's a whole bunch of different directors so that could be why oh. it's difficult to get into because it doesn't feel like a cohesive it's because it's not it's basically just an anthology of different horror stories um it's funny because i was reading reviews after me saying i don't read reviews for things i did actually <laughs> read reviews only because i wanted to find out if my my beloved um screen horror icon evan peters was in it and he isn't i was reading reviews for um american horror story 11 so it's american horror story nyc and Ooh. people didn't seem that keen i maybe i just have no taste i started watching it and i'm really into it <laughs> i really like it it's set in um nyc in i think 1981 1980 1981 um and there's sort of there's so many themes if you know sort of um gay men being being murdered by by some sort of well not unseen presence but a presence possibly called big daddy who's dressed in leather a lot of leather clubs you know people um a guy in the police force hiding his sexuality all this kind of stuff and it's like a slasher film in the gay community in 1980 in new york I that like actually it. sounds that sounds quite that sounds amazing well i Zachary do like Quinto's in it so it's amazing there you go i mean if he's in it it's gonna be amazing. like it's gonna i can be just great. watch him it's gonna be great <laughs> i can just watch him and i'm just happy i'm like yes i know i have no chance with you but you're still beautiful and i still love you so i'm still gonna watch it but um it's, i'm really genuinely enjoying it i people are very funny about american horror story i genuinely do love pretty much every series apart from roanoke which i still don't know what they were doing with that but i do kind of i give myself up to every american horror story i'm like yep bring it on Agreed. Um, I have been re-watching American Horror Story um, Coven because that is the best one. Oh, it is. I back you um, up on that one, 100%. Without a Followed doubt. Followed by Murder House. Yes. Like, yeah, in that order. Coven, then Murder House. Then Asylum? Asylum's mm. good. Asylum's better than Murder House. So Coven, Asylum, Murder House, I think. Ah, oh, there that's, we go. That's how, that's how I'd rank it. Yeah. Okay. But you're enjoying you're enjoying the rewatch. Um, I am. Um I should probably actually start watching new stuff, but it's been so crazy <laughs> that it's nice just to watch something comforting and familiar, like American Horror Story Coven, because what isn't comforting about that? Oh, I, it is all comforting, <laughs> and that's the thing about rewatching horrors. Sometimes horrors from previous decades are better than what's being released now, though I must say this is a good year for horror. Yeah. But we were rewatching a 1970s horror, weren't we? By Wes Craven. Yes. Enough blabbing. I suppose we should actually get on to today's episode. <laughs> the Halloween special that is The Hills Have Eyes. Not the remake. Not the remake. The original 1977 directed by Wes Craven. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a goodie. It's a classic. It's a cult classic for good reason um so should we go into synopsis what it's about for those um ill-educated people who have not watched it yet i think we should i mean i'm pretty sure most of our listeners are horror aficionados who would have seen it but do you know what you might not have seen it in a while let's have a recap yeah. cool so the hills of eyes um as you mentioned from 1977 um, written and directed and also edited by Wes Craven. It stars Susan Lanier, Michael Berryman, and Dee Wallace. Um, it follows the Carters, who are a sub suburban family, um, who are targeted by a family of cannibals after they're stranded in the Nevada desert. 
The movie basically uh, follows the Carter family as they're traveling on vacation. They are towing a trailer and they're going to Los Angeles. So it's the parents, Bob and Ethel, um, and they're accompanied by their children, their teenage children, Bobby, Brenda, and their eldest daughter, Lynn, Lynn's husband, Doug, and Lynn and Doug's baby, Catherine, or Katie, baby Katie. Um, the family's dogs also with them. Their names are Beauty and Beast, which I love. Oh, I love that. I love, I love their names of Beauty and Beast. It's adorable. I do so, still laugh that there is a dad called Bob and then he called his son Bobby. I mean, that is just so American. And I say that with love to the Americans. I know so many Americans who've been named after their dads. And it gets very confusing at family parties when you're calling out somebody's name and two people answer. Because I've, I've experienced that. Um, it's pretty much every family gathering since my dad named my brother after him. So. <laughs> Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really love that. So yeah, so the family are off to Los Angeles. Um, they're driving through Nevada. They stop at Fred's Oasis for fuel. Um, and the owner of Fred's Oasis, Fred, tells them to stay on the main road because, you know, it's dangerous. Um, Fred's truck explodes and the Carters basically <laughs> dismiss Fred as a crazy person and all his wa- um, warnings as the ramblings of a crazy person. <laughs> a crazy person who blows up his own truck, maybe. Pretty Just much. the truck explodes. Oh, yeah, he's crazy. Just, Definitely you know, that's it. We're not going to listen to him. We're, yeah. Anyway, so the Carter, the Carters continue their trip and they, um, while driving near the Air Force base, they uh, get startled by an overhead aircraft and they skid off the road and crash. The doggos, Beauty and Beast, become very panicky and they start barking at the hills and Beauty runs off into the hills. Bobby, the son, goes after her and finds her mutilated body. Um, he gets a fright, freaks the fuck out, tries to run, falls and knocks himself unconscious. Way to go, Bobby. Poor Bobby. <laughs> so Bob, the dad, then goes back to Fred's oasis to get help. And as night uh, comes around, he finds Fred. And uh, Fred tells him the story about his son, Jupiter. As a child, Jupiter used to kill all the family's livestock. Um, and he later killed his own sister. <laughs> He's a charming child. Really, really charming child. Psychopath in the making? Definitely. Possibly. What they all do, don't they? Serial killers supposedly kill pets. I'm not saying they kill their sisters, but they kill pets in well, early life. Mm. Yeah. And some of them do kill sisters or their moms, like the co-ed killer. Oof. So then Fred attacks Jupiter with a tire iron and leaves him in the heels to die. Um, Jupiter doesn't die, though. Um, and con- continues to live in the hills and have uh, children with a depraved alcoholic prostitute known as Mama. <laughs> so dep- I love the use of depraved. She's a depraved alcoholic prostitute. We say sex worker these days, but yes. Good Mama. Point. A depraved alcoholic <laughs> sex worker known as Mama. <laughs> Oh no, I wasn't picking you up on that. I know this is <laughs> no. what everyone says. And in all this no, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't having a go at you. I, I promise. <laughs> but it just shows you like because she's described in the film as a prostitute and it's like oh, Yeah. Actually. Yeah. It's how how far the times have changed, right? Yep. <laughs> so uh Mama and uh Papa Jupiter 
Um, they have three sons, Mars, Pluto, and Mercury, and they also have a daughter, Ruby. The family um, survives in the hills by cannibalizing travelers and stealing supplies. Um, during this wonderful family story time when um, Fred is telling Bob all about his depraved cannibalistic son, um, Papa Jupiter actually crashes through the window, kills Fred with a tire iron, and takes Bob prisoner, and also crucifies him, just for good measure. Oh, that is horrible, that scene. Ooh, poor Bob. And this is only the start of things as well, which is the the great thing. Like you said, it's a horrible scene. It's just the ante gets upped from here on out. It does, actually. Oh, yeah, this is when it gets all crazy. It, mm. Shit gets real. Very quickly. So Brenda finds Bobby. Um, he's still shaken up about Beauty, and the two go back to the trailer. Bobby doesn't mention Beauty's death to because um, he doesn't want to scare the rest of the family. Pluto then sneaks into the trailer and sends a signal to Papa Jupiter um, to set Bob on fire as a distraction. Brenda stays in the trailer with Katie while Ethel, Lynn, Doug, and Bobby rush out to save Bob. Um, the Carters get the fire up, but Bob unfortunately dies. Um, while they're trying to save their dad, um, Pluto and then Mars ransack the camper and Mars rapes Brenda. Um, also a horrific scene. Ethel oh, and then horrible. yeah, Oof. Ethel and then return. Um, Mars shoots them. Pluto kidnaps baby Katie, and the brothers go back to the hills. Um, with baby Katie, intending for the family to eat her. Um, hearing the as screams you as you do because fresh meat, fresh baby meat. Woo! Oh, my it's goodness. gotta be young and tender. Oh my god. That's uh. awful. <laughs> Jess is properly into the hills have eyes right now. Like, she's an aficionado. Apparently. So, yeah. So, Doug and Bobby, they go back. They find Lynn dead. Um, Ethel is mortally wounded. And Brenda is understandably traumatized. Well, so, yeah. God. <laughs> you think you would be. Um, I think if she wasn't traumatized, there'd be something wrong. We'd be asking more questions, right? Yeah, like, really? You're not bothered? You're just going to make a cup of tea? No, she. yeah, I think she's allowed to, to have a little bit of trauma. Oh, my word. This is just, this is always a nightmare. This is why I don't drive out into the desert if I'm ever in a country that has a lot of desert. I don't go near the desert. It's because of things like this. Um, I have a funny story about driving through the Karoo with some varsity friends. Um, but we'll save go that on. for another day. Oh, must I share it now? Okay. Okay. Um, well, no, yeah, go just... on. If you met cannibals, <laughs> you've got to reveal it. <laughs> no, not, not, not cannibals. Just, you know, driving through the desert and, you know, broken down car and stuff. Uh, so Ooh, driving, that, driving up from it. Grahamstown, going through uh, like farmlands. And there's tiny, tiny towns. Um, and uh, my friend Carol was driving and she hit a, a little daker, which is a tiny little, tiny little buck. And uh, its little horns pierced the radiator. So we had to stop in the next little town, which was probably like, field, felt a little bit culty. Um, all the police people in the town were all women, but they were blonde and beautiful. So very culty. <laughs> they didn't have an ATM in the town. And there was like one paved road. And we had to spend the entire day there while the local mechanic epoxied the radiator so we could make the drive back up to Joburg. That's it was weird. Just a weird little town. 
But I yes. I find that odd. The no slut. ATM. But this was like 20 years ago and uh Oh, okay. Yeah. And but still very weird, very small little culty weird town and uh, yeah, that's the the type of thing that only happens in the start of horror movies, so it was quite amusing. Well, this is the thing. It's the it's the kind of horror trope, isn't it? That you're driving, you break down, but you're in the middle of the desert. You're in the middle of nowhere. You think you're fine because you can see all the space around you because, you know, you think if with all of that space that you could see something coming for you. But no, no, there's always a surprise. Someone always comes out of the hills. Oh, it's horrible. This is why I don't, I haven't driven around Australia yet. My plan was always to do a, an outback kind of road trip. I've seen too many of these films now. I just can't do it. Yeah. I've seen Wolf Creek. I was Ugh. about to say, you're like Wolf Creek. Have you watched Wolf Creek? No. Yeah. No, no. I've seen all of them yeah. now. And I just, there's like three of them. I think there's three. There's a couple of them anyway. And yeah, that's enough. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And one of my friends, one of my besties has moved to Sydney. And she was talking about how we should do a road trip. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come and see you in Sydney. And we're going to stay in Sydney. And then if we're going to go anywhere else, we're going to get on a plane. I'm not driving. I've seen Wolf Creek. <laughs> no, not happening. Anyway, I'm sorry. We've digressed. Ah, Yes. So Mars and Pluto go back home, um, which is a cave. Beast. The... <laughs> sorry. And this, this actually comes in quite useful later when we're talking about true horror. Remember the cave. Put a pen in that. Um, so Beast the doggo pushes Mercury off a hilltop and he dies. Mama chains Ruby outside the cave uh, and t- torments her and forces to eat her to eat beauty as punishment because she was sympathizing with the Carters. Um, the next morning, Ethel dies. Doug then sets out to find Katie while Papa Jupiter and Pluto set out to kill the remaining fa- uh, family members. Um, Beast is such a good doggo, rips Pluto's throat out. Brenda and Bobby use Ethel's corpse as a trap to kill Papa Jupiter. Um, Doug gets into the cave. He sees Ruby knocking Mama, um, out and carrying baby Katie away. Um, Doug catches up with Ruby. Mars follows, attacks Doug. Doug gains the upper hand. Ruby intervenes. Doug then overpowers him, and the last scene is Doug savagely stabbing Mars and continues to stab after his long dead while Ruby watches and weeps. It's such a good ending. It's like, yeah. Getting one over. Getting one over on the cannibals, but then it's also like he's now become like them. Exactly. Which is why... Which we'll get to, which is why they changed the ending i was gonna say it's <laughs> two endings <laughs> so have you seen this have you seen both endings um i haven't seen the other ending oh i've seen it see this is the thing that's the first one i ever watched um which is why i was really confused when i rewatched it <laughs> it was a different <laughs> ending and i was like what because it was a cousin one of my cousins had um a dvd from states it was an american dvd and that's the first one I ever watched when I was a kid. And then, well, teenager, not a kid. And then um, when I then chose to rewatch it, and I think I either watched it on something like Netflix or Amazon Prime, and I saw the Doug stabbing ending and that was it. So the first one I ever saw, which apparently changed because of the um, test audiences, the screen audiences, 
is actually kind of a happy ending. After Doug savagely murders Mars, the family are reunited. What's who you know? What remains of the family? So Beauty, Bobby, oh the sister is it Judy? What's her name? The sister. Uh. I just read their names and I can't remember. <laughs> We've both, th- this is why it's been a tough year, guys. Wow. Um, so, um, Brenda and Lynn. There we go. So, whichever one is still alive, I can't remember, Brenda or Lynn. But anyway, so it's the sister, Bobby, the brother, and um, Doug, and the baby Katie, and lovely doggo uh, Beast, isn't it? Beast, who's, who's still alive. Yeah. And, um, oh no, is it Beauty? Oh, whichever Beauty. Oh my goodness, this Beauty. is the point we're at. Beauty is the the doggo that gets killed in the beginning. Oh yeah, so we're we're on Beast. It's all Beast. Yeah. Well, they are all reunited, and it's all happy, and they all hug, and they kind of bring Ruby into the fold. She's standing at the side watching them hug, and then they all kind of welcome her in and sort of hold her hand, and you know, it's almost like she's now been brought into civilization. She's now been brought into this lovely but fractured, partially murdered family. Um. And that's sort of like the happy ending, if you can say. Happy ending in Hills of Eyes. The hopeful yeah. ending, that's the term. <laughs> but that's the first one I ever watched. So I'd already seen the Doug being, you know, stabbing Mars scene because obviously it's in that film anyway. It happens before this happy ending. But for it to finish there, I was like, ooh, this is a choice. Mm-hmm. I quite like this choice. It kind of makes more sense, though, to end it there. Yeah. It's like we've all got that ability to become savage, really. Exactly. When needed. Cool. So that is The Heels of Eyes. Uh, It, as mentioned, became a cult classic. Um, It earned $25 at the box box office and uh, spawned an entire franchise, Um, which is interesting. Which is just sort of ongoing, like really, because then it was the remake was in 2006, wasn't it? So it's been remade since as well. And it's one of those films that's always referenced in... There was sort of that cannibal obsession in the 70s. So many Italian films like Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox and and things like that. And it was like a sort of a decade of embracing cannibalism <laughs> in horror. And it was just like the main theme. So it had to get to America at some point. And so it, this is how it happened in, in The Hills Have Eyes. But um, a lot happened behind the scenes of that film. There were quite a few things going on. So funny enough as it was kind of like cannibal-centric times in terms of horror films, Wes Craven actually sort of was partially inspired by by an event that happened during that time when he was driving, well, actually motorcycling rather, with his wife through a small Nevada town. And so three locals shot an arrow past his head. <laughs> just just like, like on a motorcycle going through this little Nevada town. And yeah, gets an arrow shot by his head. They start throwing insults at him. They're quite scary. He actually threatened a lawsuit. I don't think that really did any good. So they said that they would kill him, toss his body in a nearby salt mine, and no one would know or care. So he was like, okay, maybe I should get out of here, which he did, and his wife. Um, But he decided that that would be a really good inspiration for a movie. But he then sort of kind of forgot about that and not long afterwards started looking through um true life stories where he came across a story that we will tell you about in a bit but not going to give you details about that yet but um it's partially inspired kind of on two stories one experience he had and then a true cannibal tale from the 16th century which we'll get to but um did you know jess that actually he kind of 
wasn't really up for doing the film in the first place. He had to do it out of necessity. Yeah, um, it was after Last House on the Left, he wanted to do something that was not horror. And uh, just no one would buy it. So out of necessity, because, you know, the guy's got to eat. Um, guy's got to eat. Make- not flesh, not human flesh, though. <laughs> no, no. Um, that just made but me yeah, think of meat is meat and a man must eat. <laughs> my god that is the catchphrase for every cannibal out there meat is meat and a man's got to eat there you go well a woman's got to eat too we can all be cannibals <laughs> or gender there's no gender specific thing we we all need to eat meat just not human meat no then <laughs> yeah gross um so yeah so he was forced to make um another horror movie well not really forced um he had to out of necessity to pay the bills um from what i remember reading yeah, and that's the funny thing. He's Wes Craven is synonymously known for horror films. That's what we know him for. So the fact he wanted to early 70s get out of that genre and then got pulled back in, and this is where it happened. Um, but apparently also his wife, uh, sorry, not, not his wife, his um, producer friend, Peter Locke, his wife was performing regularly in Las Vegas. So Peter Locke, the producer, was constantly out in the desert landscape. So when they were talking about The Hills Have Eyes, Wes Craven actually hadn't thought about setting it in the desert, but it was because of Peter Locke that he decided to. Um, and you know, the the lady who played Ruby, this is one of the facts, um, they needed an actress who could pull off the flighty and feral character convincingly. So she had sprints. Literally, actresses who were um, auditioning for the role had to race each other. <laughs> That's literally how um, Janice Blythe, who played Ruby, got the part. She was fast. She just outrun everybody. Which is hilarious. That that's that is quite for an audition. Like nothing to do with <laughs> character development. Nothing to your do with acting abilities. How... Just yep. that you're fast. You can you can run. Um, another fact for you: Peter Locke, the producer, plays actually a small role in the film. Um, he's Mercury, the feathered-covered savage who only appears twice: once in the film's opening minutes, but then again when he's pushed off the cliff by Beast. Good old Beast. Um, do you remember Jess? There was a tarantula. Yes, that that tarantula Mm. scene. Oh, my God. Poor old Dee Wallace, um, who's also in The Howling, by the way. Another good film, very strange film. in the the precursor to American American Werewolf in London. I prefer American Werewolf in London, but The Howling is good too. But Dee Wallace discovers a tarantula in the trailer, which is supposed to be sort of foreshadowing the the dire events that are about to happen. Um, But it actually wasn't in the script. They found a spider on the road while shooting, thought, oh, that'll look good. So they put it in a terrarium and thought, yeah, we'll put it in the film at some point. And so, yeah, they just decided, let's put it in the trailer. But she didn't stomp on it. Dee Wallace didn't actually kill the spider. So no spider cruelty took place. Um, But when it comes to animals, there was a dead animal in the film. Did you know that actually the dog who played Beauty, not not when Beauty was alive, they didn't kill Beauty, but the dead dog was actually a dead dog it wasn't like nice sort of bits of uh you know material and fake blood and, and fake goo yeah and bacon it was a real doggy um so they actually found supposedly a dead dog Wes Craven said let's just say we bought a dead dog from the country and leave it at that so that was a real dead dog so when they find the mutilated dog eh, it was a real that's one. gross that's really gross it well was... props to authenticity but uh I'm mean, yeah. gross really gross like, and, pff, nah. no. 
real dead doggy. Um, Michael Berryman. So amazing Michael Berryman, who plays Pluto, um, became a horror icon. I mean, we've seen him in so many other films over the years. But bless him, he has 26 birth defects, which actually, when sort of he was um, auditioning for the character, was something that kind of appealed to Wes Craven. So he's got something called, um, oh, right, I'm going to pronounce this properly, um, hypodidrotic ectodermal dysplasia. That sounds that's right. One, that's right. That's one of the things he has with the with the birth defects. And um, it's a hereditary disorder that basically makes him incapable of growing hair, nails, or teeth. But one of the huge things that uh, sort of um, happened when he was in the desert is he has a lack of sweat glands. That's one of his birth defects. So it meant he was filming in the desert in heat that was really hazardous to his health. So during all of the action sequences and things like that, he had to be covered up immediately as soon as they finished scenes. Um, and it was just basically the poor thing was, you know, very, very ill during that, in that intense heat. Another thing about Berryman, and I kind of love this. I think this is quite sweet. In the scene um, that was written in the script originally, Papa Jupiter eats baby Katie. So that's the original thing is actually baby Katie gets eaten. Uh, but, Berryman refused to do any have like have anything to do with that scene. So as a result, Wes Craven deleted it, and he said basically that <laughs> that um, he just didn't want to do anything that sick. Um, and I kind of love him for that. That is, um, he just he just sounds like a great guy. He does. I love this. There's one story after The Hills Have Eyes was released. He was in a movie theater uh, watching a screening and there was a woman sitting in front of him who shrieked and she said, this movie is sick and depraved. So he joked, I thought he actually did it, but he joked, he considered leaning forward and whispering, you're damn right, lady, this movie is sick. And I wish he'd done it because that would have been awesome. I would have loved it if I was watching Hills Have Eyes and Michael Berryman was behind me and whispered something in my ear. I would love that. I would probably jump out of my skin, but I would love it. Um, <laughs> I think that's kind of great. It is. It is kind of great. Um, another little bit of a fact here. Um, the horror homages. So The Hills of Eyes is a huge kind of um, inspiration. Wes Craven always is a huge inspiration to a lot of other horror directors. Um, and Sam Raimi, Evil Dead director, he wanted to pay homage in his own way. So um, in the scene where Brenda is is in bed after being attacked awfully attacked by Bruto uh, by Pluto sorry in Mars there's a ripped poster for Steven Spielberg's Jaws visible above her head um <laughs> Sam Raimi saw that as a message he said I took it to mean that Wes Craven was saying Jaws was just pop horror what I have here is real horror so as a joking response to the scene he actually put a ripped poster for the hills have eyes in the evil dead <laughs> the original the 1981 version so Wes Craven this was like a back and forth between them Wes Craven was like do you know what? I'm going to get you back for that. So he included a clip from the Evil Dead in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I love that. I love that <laughs> horror homage. I think that's amazing. It's like a little conversation between the two of them through their films, which I kind of love. Um, so as I mentioned before, Peter Locke was the one who suggested that they should film in the desert because his wife was working in Las Vegas. It was actually going to be filmed in a forest originally and the cannibals were going to be teenagers and the baby was stolen for a religious ritual instead of being eaten. So that was more culty. That sounds far more culty than the cannibal strange family in the hills. Um, I think it originally was going to be going down that cult route. 
But yeah, I don't know. I think I think the the strange cannibal family in the hills, as opposed to like a, a bunch a, a cult. Um, I mean, the whole cult thing would have been perfect for the times, um, considering Satanic Panic and Rosemary's Baby and all that other wonderful stuff and The Exorcist. Um, but mm. this, uh, the fact that they used a cannibalistic family, it's somehow adds that element of I don't know, d- um, depravity and just. It's more scary than just another cult. People it's... can lose interest in a cult and leave. Cults disband before anything. Heaven's Gate happens or Jonestown Massacre happens. Some cults just do disband. But this, cannibals in the desert, nah. They're, they're not it... going to be moving into civilization. Agreed. And also it kind of just, um, I think, speaks to like a lot of societal fears of, um, uh, I don't know, the quote-unquote inner savage and how we are afraid of our own inner, I don't know, demons. And, you know, that, that whole, we think we're civilized, but we're not really. Um, so it's, it's like holding a mirror up to society in a way, I suppose. It is. It is. And that's what they were doing with the ending, weren't they? With Doug manically stabbing um, Mars. But yeah, that ending is is pretty much shining a, a light on what Wes Craven thought of society and how we were going. And actually, looking at the world right now, maybe he wasn't that wrong. Yep, the political and social commentary is still spot on. It's still spot on. Let's have a couple of funny ones here, short funny ones before we get into the real true horror. Wes Craven said that The Hills Have Eyes was shot on cameras, I love this, rented from a notorious Californian pornographer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who this pornographer is. I tried to find out, couldn't, but I love that. Just that the same, the film about cannibalism was shot on um, cameras that also filmed a little bit of porn in California. Oh my um, God. You can make a joke about, you know, eating body parts and eating body parts. <laughs> you could. Oh, lots of eating's gone on, on these, <laughs> within these camera frames. Oh, it's quite funny. Um, so a lot of the props in the family cave were from art director Robert A. Burns' props he designed for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that's interesting. It's what we were talking about homages between Sam Raimi and Wes Craven. Wes Craven was a huge fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so he saw this as kind of an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but he was sort of having his own kind of, his own um, little version of it, which I like. Um, this is also kind of, one to finish on as a lot of these horror films we've talked about in the past a lot of people the bad things happened now not nothing kind of curse like happened on this film but a lot of people got ill because of the heat so crew members were reportedly kind of fainting and falling ill constantly through production because temperatures could reach 120 in the day and plunge into the 30s at night so imagine that the differences so you're in the intense heat and then the intense cold Ugh. The, the effect it would have on your system. So that kind of added to the horror that while these crew members and actors were, were working on the film, they were constantly getting ill. It does not sound like it was a fun shoot at all. It doesn't, does it? Um, interesting, the responses to the film. It's become a cult classic. At the time, though, it was sort of getting mixed reviews. Variety said it was a satisfying piece of pulp. And that the gratifying aspects of the film are Craven's business-like plotting and pace cutting. Um, there were some people who said it was a bit too decadent, as in like a bit grotesque. That it had promise but was never fused into an effective narrative pattern, let alone an allegorical one. 
And of course, with the best cult classics, often there is true horror behind it. And this one has a very, very interesting story that inspired it. So we obviously mentioned that Wes Craven, when he was going through Nevada, a Nevada town, he and his wife were kind of set upon. And that started his thinking. But he'd already been researching films that he wanted to do. And he was actually looking at terrible things in the New York Public Library, which I love. He actually came across the legend of somebody from Scotland called Sawney Bean when he was just researching. And this is a quote from him. Originally, it came from an article I saw in the New York Library about Sawney Bean and his family in the 1700s in Scotland, I believe. There'd been an area that had a road running through it from Scotland and people thought it was haunted because people kept disappearing from that road. But then a story came out when a couple was attacked by wild looking people and one got away. This is what he was reading about, about the story of Sawney Bean. Um, some, some of you may have heard of him. Some of you may not. I'd heard of him just actually through something that a teacher of mine said in a history class once. I can't remember how we were talking, but it was something to do with history in Scotland. And she started talking about Sawney Bean and we were all like, what? I think she must have had a bit of a fascination with, with horror stories because it's not something that would be taught in the syllabus in the UK in history at all. But yeah, we did have a little kind of chat about it. So I sort of, it was, I knew it was there, but I didn't know the full depth of it till we researched this episode. And it is wild. So <laughs> it's what shit gets real. The uh, legend of Sawney Bean is, is, ugh, fuck, it's, it's fucking wild. So <laughs> apparently, now I'm, I'm going to try and pronounce this stuff as best I can, but I'm going to butcher a lot of the uh, pronunciation. So I'm apologizing up front for that because I will too. You know, Don't worry. So, according to legend, um, he, uh, Sawney Bean was born in East Lothian, Scotland. Um, his father was a hedge trimmer and ditch digger. And uh, apparently, Sawney Bean was going to follow in his father's footsteps, um, but he realized that the type of work is actually not for him. So, instead of yeah, following. He had other things in mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's not hedges he wanted to trim not no, hedges not hedges at all just other things um <laughs> gross um so bean actually ended up with black agnes douglas i love the fact that her name is black agnes i love that um, no a woman she was who, supposed to be a witch right she was believed to be a witch yeah a woman who shared his taste for human flesh and carnage. Dum, dum, dum. Oh, gross. Um, and they lived in a cave together. Um, in That's where the cave came in. We told you to think about the cave, the cave from the Hills of Eyes and the cave in this. They set up home in a, at uh, Benane Cave, which is in Ballantrae in Ayrshire, Scotland. Fuck, I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of that right. You did a really anyway. good idea. Yeah, that was good. Um, so yeah, the Benane Cave is, is, uh, rather an imposing abode. It's got tunnels into solid rock. It's, it, it extends for miles, which is why the Bean clan was actually able to uh, evade detection for what, like over 25 years? Yeah. Um, they just hidden away from society. No one knew they were there. And yes, I did say clan because Black Agnes and 
good old Sony had a couple of kids and a couple of grandkids with their kids because incest is again the whole family can pay there was 14 kids and then about I think it was eight uh, that's it six daughters eight sons 14 granddaughters and 18 grandsons and the various grandchildren were products of incest between their children as if you didn't think that cannibalism was as far as the (laughs) depravity (laughs) that the story is going to take cannibalism and incest you know two things they run in parallel don't they somehow they they do uh, yeah sony had to support his wife and his uh growing brood of cannibalistic children um so they used to ambush travelers on the lonely narrow roads that connected the villages in the area and um what what started off as a way to make sure that um, his victims wouldn't actually identify him, he started murdering him. Um, but then, you know, you've got to dispose of the evidence and meat is meat and a man must eat. So they started eating the <laughs> I victims. want that on a t-shirt. Yep. I want that on a t-shirt. That's, that's going to be the next witchery um, t-shirt, I think. It's uh, um, Walking Dead quotes. We might run into some copyright issues. Oh, damn. Is that where it's from? Okay. Yep. Damn. <laughs> it's, it's still good. Meat is meat and a man must eat. It is. Um, so, yeah, the uh, high-protein diet that they were fed on seems to have done them quite quite a lot of good. Um, and the brood grew. And over 25 years, they terrorized the countryside, um, killing people, stealing from them, eating people. Um, they used to pickle the, some of the, the flesh from their victims. Um, so, and yeah, over the years, uh, curiously preserved and decaying body parts were discovered washed up all over the surrounding beaches in the areas, but no, no, the local authorities and people in the area had no idea what, what it actually was. So what was causing this? So the, um, myths and legends and you know the spread and people just thought that the woods were haunted well you Um, would wouldn't you because if if at that time you wouldn't be thinking necessarily there is a bunch of cannibals stealing people and eating them we would think that now because we've seen enough horror films like the hills have eyes that that's where our brains go to oh my god it must be cannibals but at the time it has to be cannibals but at the time of course there was always that there was a supernatural panic then yeah there was a satanic panic back then so they would um, as, think it was something yeah, you know, existential. Agreed. Um, and as mentioned, Black Agnes was considered to be a witch. So there is that. Um, but yeah, it was uh, a couple thousand people went missing over 25 years. They searched the woods, could never find the missing people or their bodies or anything. Uh, but no one ever thought to go actually go into the caves and check the caves. So yeah, so the Bean Clan would only come out at night to do their murderous pillaging and eating of people and would hide in the cave by day. As you do. Hide away. Don't get any vitamin D because you're going to get it from eating flesh. Exactly. And the um, victims would be ambushed and killed um, in pretty much military-style operations by the Sawney Clan. Uh, their bodies were then taken back to the cave and were prepared for the larder by the womenfolk. Oh, that isn't that typical though. 
that the cannibals, they're like, yeah, we're going to bring the bodies back. And the women can do all the work. The women could do the kitchen stuff. I mean, maybe they liked it. Who knows? Maybe they like chopping people up and cooking them. But that's so typical. Leave the woman to do it. So patriarchal. Yeah. Even even cannibals are all about the patriarchy. <laughs> Damn it. Damn the patriarchy. Um, so, yeah, one evening, the Sawney Bean clan um, attacked a man and his wife uh, who were returning home from a nearby fair. Um, they pulled the woman from her horse. They stripped her and disemboweled her um, before... Ooh another group of cannibals actually got a chance to wrestle the man to the ground. Seeing what happened to his wife, he fought desperately to escape and actually managed to um, drive his horse um, over his attackers. Um, and oh, yay. Go him. Yeah. Um, fought for his life, as I said. Um, and a group of uh, 20 or other, 20 or so other people returning from their the fair also came came upon the scene um there was a brief and violent exchange and the uh sawney bean clan for the first time ever was at a numerical disadvantage and they quickly ran back to the cave um it was then discovered uh the the mutilated body of the woman was was discovered and they also heard about like what happened um and this was taken to the chief magistrate of the town nearby um, and put this together with the longest missing persons list ever in the history of forever and took the matter straight to the king. I um, love that. That of all the th- they go straight to royalty. Like, yes, there are cannibals in Scotland. Help. They're eating people. Imagine going people- to King Charles with that now. <laughs> Just thinking, our King Charles III. Imagine, like, there's cannibals in the UK and not going to the police. Just going straight to King Charles. Ooh, sorry, I'm not sure what to do about that. Sorry about that. Um, he'd probably recommend like a homeopathic remedy or something, because isn't he big into homeopathy? He is. He's big into natural stuff. And if you read rumors on the internet, he's big into eating people. <laughs> <So> <laughs> if you believe all the David Icke conspiracy theories, he's a lizard person who eats people. So actually, he might even be the cannibals. You don't know. Oh, my God. King Charles the cannibal. I'm going to end up getting arrested after this podcast. I better stop talking about King Charles. I don't think he's a cannibal. I I don't believe he's a cannibal or a lizard. Or a, li- or a lizard person. No. He's just a he's just a very rich man living in a castle and it's not fair. But there we go. That's UK for you. <laughs> um so King James I arrived in Ayrshire with a small army of about 400 men and some tracker dogs and they found the cave. They um, went full throttle, didn't they? They, they were like, did. fuck these cannibals. We're getting the army out. Well, it's probably needed because there's probably enough of those incestuous Sawney Bean children lying around to, to fight. Exactly. So go in or guns blazing. Although I suppose they didn't have guns at the time. So Spires blazing. What would they have had? Swords, Swords blazing. And what those things blaze? they could do if you put them in, in, a, in fire, probably would. <laughs> Pretty hot anyway. What's the things they use? Lances or something they used to use? Lances oh blazing. That like lances blazing. Is it a lance? Is that what you'd call it? Like the long thing, the spiky the long thing. The spiky long thing. <laughs> I don't know what these things are called. I couldn't even remember the word sword. So this says a lot about my knowledge of of war history. Um, but there we go. Yeah, swords blazing. What? Well, maybe they were hot. 
you need you need to watch more like house of the dragon i should well i do you know i saw a couple of episodes of it and i had no clue who anyone was even by the end of the third one i was like there's matt smith that's all i know oh there's paddy paddy considine i don't know what the characters names are because they keep sort of changing and all these people turn up and then suddenly people aged overnight i was like what Where's the girl gone? Oh, that's the girl that was in the other episode, but now she's grown up and she's a completely different actress and what? It was very confusing. Yeah, but Matt Smith. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Matt Smith? He was a great Prince Philip in The Crown as well. He was. He made me like Prince Philip. I was like, oh, wow. I actually don't mind Prince Philip now if you're playing him. Underrated actor. Um, and very he much. is my favourite doctor. Do you know, I well, I would say David Tennant probably was mine followed by matt smith tenant's good but i it was matt smith that actually like hooked me and drew me in so i don't i I do love matt smith so i agree with you very good in the theater as well very good theater actor oh he's just immensely talented but anyway back on to the murderous bean clan and them getting caught i love it we got from sawny bean (laughs) to doctor cannibals to, to matt smith sorry matt if you're listening you're probably not but we're not we're not <laughs> aligning you with cannibals, I promise. <laughs> we're not comparing you. All good. Um Yeah, I could say so many inappropriate things at that, but let's let's move on swiftly. <laughs> so by torchlight, the troops entered the Benane Cave with swords drawn, not swords blazing, swords drawn. There we go. They might have um, been hot though. They could have been hot. Good points. Um, and they proceeded down the mile long twisting passage to the inner depths of the family's lair. Um, nothing could have prepared them for the sight they witnessed that day. The damp oh, walls God. of the cave were strewn with row upon row of human limbs and body parts, like meat hanging in a butcher's shop. Other areas of the cave stored bundles of clothing, piles of watches and rings, and heaps of discarded bones from previous feasts. So they'd been there for 25 years and they hadn't even like built a cupboard like all, you know, kind of anything to put all the body parts in. Just li- how messy. Not only are they cannibals, they're leaving body parts everywhere. I mean, just messy cannibals. They're That's gross. Messy, incestuous cannibals. It's, it seems to be like every, I don't know, stereotypical trope is thrown into one legend. I was going to say, I probably shouldn't have these kind of, imagine that they would have high standards when they're committing not acts every, of incest. Not murder. everyone is, is Hannibal Lecter. That's true. If only more cannibals were like that, the world would be a cleaner <laughs> place. So after, after a brief fight, the Sawney um, Bean family, um, all 48 of them, they were caught and arrested and marched off to Edinburgh by the king himself. The crimes were so heinous that the normal justice system, which for Scotland is so renowned, was abandoned and the entire family was sentenced to death. The following day, 27, yeah, well, it was reported they ate like a thousand people, so yeah. Mm. Um, The following day, 27 of the family, um, 27 men of the family um, had their legs and arms cut off and they were left to slowly bleed to death, watched Good. by the woman. The 21 women were burned like witches in huge fires. Um, so yeah, and, that was the, and that's the end of Thorny Bean. Don't feel too bad for him, actually, to be perfectly honest, or his family. Um, I do love 
the quote. So there's a quote about um, his final words as he was dying. And Sawney apparently shouted, it isn't over. It will never be over. <laughs> I mean, that's quite a lot to shout when you're bleeding to death. Um, but yeah, he said, it isn't, it isn't over. It will never be over. Not and a... then he died. But that is just like so, I don't know, predict predictable in terms of last words. It's it's yeah it's kind of it is very predictable like couldn't you've said something else like yum 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 they're in my tum or something, like something <laughs> kind of like yum that was worth it they were yummy like at least say something cannibal like that we can quote you know say meat is meat and a man's gotta eat that would have been a really good going out line that's your final line of life as a cannibal meat is meat and a man's gotta eat yeah agree. see he missed a trick there he really, really. did it isn't over. It will never be over. I mean, that's just boring. Well, it will be over because you're dead and all your family are dead. So you're not going to be doing any more eating. There might be other cannibals about, but you guys are gone. Um, idiot. But there's, so the thing about Sawney Bean, I find the most interesting, obviously big inspiration for the Hills Have Eyes and then for lots of other cannibals, is that it's, it's one of those stories that people aren't entirely sure if it's true or made up. So though Sawney Bean is attested to be you know real there is the idea that it could all be a myth because the story first actually came out in the 1800s in something called the newgate calendar which was a crime catalog um based in newgate prison so it was really written as a story in the 1800s but yet sawney bean was supposed to have operated in the 1700s so in that hundred years where did the story go come from was it effectively just made up or invented or was it based on another real-life cannibal? Because there are obviously a lot of cannibals in Scotland because two high-profile cannibals have come from Scotland. There was somebody called Christy Cleek, otherwise known as Andrew Christie. And he was a real-life Perth butcher um, who became a highway robber in the Grampians in 1341. So actually, 14th century, not 15th century. Um, during a severe famine... Christie joined a group of scavengers in the foothills of the Crampians. And when one party died of starvation, Christie put his butcher skills to good work to work on the corpse and provide his companions with a ready meal. <laughs> so he actually just a bit like Alive, you know, that film Alive where they had no choice but to eat people. They were starving. So he was like, oh, well, this guy's died. Might as well eat him. It's like that movie with the plane crash. That's it, alive, isn't it? Is that it, film is it alive? <laughs> That's the one. I'm sure, have I made that up? Is that? Is I don't that know. Alive, the film no where idea. the plane crash, the true life one. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but so Christie had nothing else to do. Apparently, you know, they couldn't. There were no animals supposedly around or anything else. So when one of them died, he was like, "Yay, let's just eat them." Food times. Um, but as a result, this group he was with, um, he was traveling with, you know, scavengers in the foothills of the Grampians all started to get a taste of human flesh, as you do. Meat is meat and a man's got to eat. Um, and they started as a group under Christie's leadership to ambush travellers all the way through the Grampians, feeding on their bodies and those of the horses as well. So, I mean, I would never suggest eating a horse. I love horses. But killing people <laughs> and horses when maybe you could survive just on the animals would maybe be a better choice. But no, they decided to go for everybody. They just killed everything they came they across. They just developed a taste for yeah. that sweet, sweet human flesh. 
meat is meat and a man's got to eat. Exactly. Christie would haul his victims from their mounts. So he would get a, a hook on a rod and he would, as soon as they were sort of either, you know, galloping past or whatever, he'd use this hook, pull them off the horse. And this implement was called a cleck. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is actually now known as a crook. Um, and the riders would just be killed immediately at Christie's hands. He would kill them and then they would start carving them up, cooking them and eating them. Oof, fun times. But eventually the company was defeated by an armed force from Perth, except for Christie himself, who supposedly escaped and re-entered society under a new name. So that's, there are some similarities there about the, the fact that they were living in woods this time, not in caves. They were... Um, coming stumbling across people and killing them just because they had to eat as a little group and that unarmed force came to get them and got everybody else apart from christy well as we know sawney bean according to the story died but christy disappeared um there's been no mention of his accomplices or eventual fate in anything but the narrative is always about christy and his cannibalism and how he sort of trapped his prey so it's sort of gone through time that are the stories actually intertwined in terms of is Sawney just based on this story or are they two separate cannibals? That's what no one knows. I mean, it's quite obvious. Um, and the Christie legend is much, much older. And as I said, like the Bean family tales don't sort of start springing up until the Newgate prison times. Yeah. So, but Christie's exploits were documented from the 15th century. So, I think it was mentioned, I'm going to find you the name. So Andrew of, oh God, this is going to be me. Oh, wow. Me pronouncing this. Please don't laugh. Andrew of Windtown's Orgigonail Chronicle of Scotland. Oh, Chronicle of Scotland. Oh, right. Original Chronicle <laughs> of Scotland. <laughs> oh my God. It's literally, it's just the way it's written. It's like Orgy Janelle, original Chronicle of Scotland. Oh, guys, it's been a year. Let me tell you, it's been a year. Um, Andrew of Winton's original Chronicle of Scotland from 1420. <laughs> I can't believe that. That is so staying in. That is so utterly ridiculous. That is staying in. Um, um, I'm crying. I'm I'm literally crying. And guys, I didn't even do that for a laugh. I genuinely thought it was the orgy canal crony kill. Oh my word! Well, in this orgy thing, whatever it is from 1420, the Um it referred to, a, and this is interesting as well, referred to a figure called Quiston Cleek. So it's like somebody has a little lisp, Quiston Cleek, um, instead of Christy Cleek, who during a time of great default, monies were in hunger dead. So basically, they were poverty stricken didn't have anything they set up traps with the intent that children and women fought to slay and swains that might overtar and ate them all he get might mad um so basically yeah he was mentioned in this <laughs> orgigonale chronicle <laughs> um of 1420 so yeah he was mentioned beforehand um and he's sort of popped up in other things in Hollinshed's Chronicles, not Chronicles, 
and all sorts of other literature from that time, there are mentions of a Christine clique or a Christie clique or something like that. So he's he's been in other um, stories, but Sawney Bean only first appeared in this Newgate calendar, which makes you wonder, is it sort of based on that from someone's imagination? I don't know. I like to think Sawney was real. Um, yeah, but uh, one of the things I found on, on Sawney Bean was that there's no um, historical facts there's no historical factual evidence to actually support the existence of Sawney Bean um and the fact they mentioned yeah. King James that's what I found so interesting because I thought if it was just Sawney Bean and then he got arrested fine you know you could make up anything about guards arresting him and then torturing him but the fact they mentioned that King James was to do with it is quite specific um you would then think that there would be some record of King James having traveled to deal with Sawney Bean. It's a bit odd. To deal with a murderous um, cannibal who ate over a thousand people in yeah. 25 years. You'd, you'd think there might be a little bit more published about that one. Especially with the, a family of incestuous grandchildren. Right? I mean, that's that's a lot there. Why didn't we hear about this uh, centuries before? Why only in the Newgate Chronicle? Was, you know, it's just, it's it's weird that that's the first time you actually hear the story. It is odd, actually. But Wes Craven heard it. I mean, he read it when he was in the New York Public Library looking for, you know, evil things, think bad things that people have done. And that was then the huge inspiration for The Hills of Eyes. And he said this, this is a quote from Wes Craven, when he'd read all about Sawney Bean um, in particular. He doesn't mention Andrew Christie, by the way. Um, they did horrendous things to them, broke them all on the wheel, hanged the women in front of the men, and then they dismembered the men. And I was so struck by how, on the one hand, you have this feral family that's killing people and eating them. But if you look at it, they weren't doing anything much worse than civilization did when they caught them. And I just thought, what a great kind of A-B culture, of culture. How the most civilized can be the most savage and how the most savage can be civilized. I constructed these two families of mirrors as mirrors of each other. I found it very interesting to look at ourselves, to think of ourselves as having the capacity not only for the great good, but for great evil. Which is why the ending works so well. Yeah. Um, the original, that, the, yeah. the true ending. Yes, not the, true, the, not the hey, hopeful. Happy days. Oh, look at us, we're all happy. One big happy family with a new murderous cannibal in our midst. And that's the thing when you, God, it sounds such a depressing thing, but when you, when you look at the justice system around the world from centuries back, you'll have tribes, um, I believe tribes from the Amazon rainforest, where if someone's committed a crime, what they do is they will sail that person out in the middle of the water on a boat and they will then take them off the boat and leave them in the water and it's the family of either somebody who was murdered or people the victims who were attacked by this criminal who have the choice of either staying on the land and watching this person drown or swimming and rescuing them like bringing the boat back and rescuing them and it's their choice that's their justice system but again everything when you look at capital punishment when you look at you know, these disembowelings when you look at the guillotine in you know the throughout french history and things like that when you look at how people are treated and they're supposedly savages witches burned at the stake in salem they're supposed to be people who've done terrible things or presumably are thought to have done terrible things but then you punish them by doing terrible things so it's this constant cycle and we could get into a huge discussion about capital punishment and belief systems on that, but that's for another podcast on an, another day because yep. yeah, but it's, there's so much in that. And that's the thing that the Hills Have Eyes really shows the savagery of people because 
there is that it's like the lord of the flies thing Mm. when you're isolated there are so many stories of people true and obviously fictional where when people are isolated they do terrible things like alive on the plane they they kill dead people and there are still kill um, dead people (laughs) (laughs) they ate dead people no what i was gonna say oh guys (laughs) it's all downhill from here the next few episodes god knows what what crap i'll be coming out with in the next one sorry jess and what i meant to say <laughs> they etted people, but you know, there's a rumor. Not that I'm supporting this rumor, but there have been rumors about the team that actually they didn't necessarily just eat dead people; they killed people to eat them. That's one of the rumors that's gone round about. I don't actually believe that myself. I think these are, are typically like internet conspiracy theories, so I shouldn't be probably be spreading that. But there is this idea of that people will do things to survive. Survive, pretty much, yeah. Um, um, and I think that that person who is like basically been stripped of all civility, the, the most basic human instincts are that of survival, and they will yeah. do anything that they can do to survive. And that is a thousand times more frightful than a cult. It is. It really is, actually, because these these cults they disband they tend to not last very long. And even in the case of Charles Manson, where terrible, terrible things and acts were committed, well, as soon as they were arrested, that cult was disbanded. But with this sort of central evil that you do get within, you know, people who are very isolated, these kind of clans, things like that, these kind of Sawney Bean clan ideas, that's that's much harder to to erase that kind of evil. Yeah, and it's at the same way also, at the same time, also quite fascinating. I just uh, mm. remembered there's a story, I think, out of Australia of a incestuous family group. Oh, really? I can't remember the details. Um, I'm going to have to look that up. I'll have to definitely have to look that up. Um, it's, 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 there are sort of, obviously, it's a lot of inspiration for films because the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another one, of course, which is a family of... Of quite vile people, um, and this does happen. If near dark is a family, supposedly family of, um, though they've been connected in other ways, of evil vampires. There's always a clan aspect to this kind of evil that it stays within the family or it breeds within the family. But with the Sawney Bean thing, I mean, I think it's. What do you think? I think it's probably a lot of it just based on old stories and made up. What do you think? I think so. Um, I think that. Yeah, lots of stories that kind of amalgamated together to create the Sawney Bean character. Um, and I think they took bits and pieces of the worst stories and added it to these this like Franken monster stereotypical penultimate cannibal incestuous person. <laughs> exactly. Because when you hear the numbers, and I know that serial killers do could kill into the hundreds but when you hear a thousand people i know over 25 years but a thousand people even in those times disappearing that would I don't be, know. that would still be something we'd be talking about surely it would yeah. be something ingrained in the um social consciousness and like folklore and stuff it would there would be far more stories written about it. You'd be hearing about it from from other sources. It would be mentioned in other publications, yeah. even from the seventeen hundreds. If you think Andrew Christie was mentioned in publications from the fourteenth century up, fourteenth uh, and fifteenth century up, so 
you would think Sawney Bean was mentioned. But then, you know, I suppose things can get lost in time when they're not catalogued properly. Maybe you could use the argument, maybe that was supposed to be hidden away. But then where did the story suddenly spring from in the 1800s? In the Newgate calendar, like suddenly it's back. Who? No one could have been alive at that time to have remembered that story and, and told it in the 1800s. So very odd. Yeah, it is very odd, but fascinating. But odd. Incredibly fascinating, but strange. But do you know what? That This is the thing. There's so many films now. There's like Ravenous, Wrong Turn, as well as obviously the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then all of that cannibal Holocaust um, series. And there were so many of them, particularly from Italian. What is it about Italians, about Italian directors in the 70s? There were enough Italian films about cannibals. But it's a fascination for people. I suppose because it's so abhorrent. We're obsessed with these abhorrent stories. Things you can never imagine people doing. The evil that men do. Meat is meat and a man's got to eat. Exactly. Exactly. And that's it. We're fascinated by that. Um, That evil. So Sawney Bean's been mentioned in some other things. So obviously he was mentioned in The Hills Have Eyes. Um, He was mentioned in in Ravenous as well. That was the inspiration. He's not mentioned, sorry, but he's kind of referenced um, by the director's. There was apparently a comic book series called Hack Slash, um, where the killer, the meat man killer, is revealed to be a descendant of Sawney Bean. And there's lots of other things, off-Broadway plays, films, which we'll get to as well. Um, Even Judge Dredd introduces the Angel Gang, a family of cannibalistic scavenging cave dwellers supposedly originally based on Sawney Bean, though that could also have been based on The Hills Have Eyes, which was based on Sawney Bean. But there's lots of mentions, even um, Neil Gaiman, in the story set in the aftermath of American Gods, sees the character Shadow traveling to Scotland. And that's supposedly, you know, in the Monarch of the Glen, Sawney Bean is mentioned. So, yeah, it's sort of... Well, in whether, a lot of drama. Yeah, whether or not Sawney Bean was, was real, um, he has left his mark on pop culture ever since, I suppose. He has. I mean, there is even a film about him. So I don't know. Do you fancy chatting about the Obscure Film Club? Let's go into it. Yay. This week's Obscure Film Club. Well, there is a film about Sawney. A very (laughs) strange film that I actually watched a few years ago, not realising it was about Sawney Bean because it was on TV. My friend and I were having a horror movie night. We'd finished one movie and literally this movie came straight on. It just started and we watched it. And it was only when I then saw the title credits, I realised it was called Sawney Flesh of Man from 2012. (laughs) Um, It is a modern retelling of the Sawney Bean tale. So it's contemporary. Um, Sawney Bean's family of deranged psychopath incest freaks uh, all wear hoodies. Hoodie culture. There is a, a mama who is locked kind of in a cage that you don't see, who's fed bits of organs and stuff thrown at her and strange music is played to her all day. Very odd. And Sawney goes around Scotland killing people. There is a a journalist on his trail. Um, there's another very strange subplot that's a bit of an odd romance story that doesn't really kind of work with Sawney, but there we go. But the guy who plays Sawney is an actor called David Heyman, amazing Scottish actor. And I would watch it just for him. When he's on screen, he's absolutely phenomenal. But it is very much that story of, of cannibals and incest in Scotland. But I would recommend that one. Uh, going into the cannibal culture, 
here are some obscure films from around the world that you should definitely have a look at. We're Going to Eat You from China. It's a 1980. title is amazing. Um, in 1980, horror, Hong Kong horror comedy um, directed by Tizu Hark. And it's about a secret agent called Agent 999 who is attempting to capture a thief called Rolex. <laughs> Just love these names. Agent 999 and Rolex. Rolex. Um, this hunt leads him to a village that is inhabited by cannibals. It wasn't a big success, but it was kind of a comedy horror success. So it's definitely got comic elements. It wasn't a success in terms of like the hills have eyes, big, big sort of horror splash. But it's it's definitely one worth watching. I've actually seen it. It's, it's bonkers. Um, there is Cannibal Ferox, which is also known as Make Them Die Slowly. Um, and also known as Woman from the Deep River in Australia. That's a 1981 Italian cannibal exploitation horror film. So over the 70s and, and through into the very early 80s, there were lots and lots of Italian cannibal horror films, as I've said. And Cannibal Ferox is one of them. It's described as the most violent film ever made. It's also claimed to have been banned in 31 countries, though the claim is dubious. I'm not going to tell you much about it. You should look it up. It's part of that cannibal holocaust sort of style. So there is a lot of similarities. But yeah, it is, it's pretty gruesome. Um, then there is also another Italian one called Eaten Alive, which is a 1980. So still in that cannibal panic time um italian horror film also directed by umberto lenzi who um also directed cannibal ferox and the film's about a young woman who's searching for her sister after her abduction by a cult in the jungles of new guinea i haven't watched that one but i'm going to watch that one that sounds amazing what well, doesn't sound mm. amazing sounds um quite intriguing it they're definitely intriguing but there are four there that you may not have heard of may not have seen and that we thoroughly recommend you have a look at. So that is the story of The Hills Have Eyes and Sawney Bean. Well, maybe Sawney Bean. It could actually be Andrew Christie, but who knows? <laughs> it's a story of an incestuous cannibalistic family. <laughs> oh, that's the only thing. That's the only difference with Christie. No incest mentioned. So whether that was just a nice little bit of invention by whoever detailed the Sawney Bean story or Sawney Bean is real. Who knows? But yeah, that one isn't mentioned in the Andrew Christie story. Um, but that's it, guys. But thank you for spending Halloween with us talking about cannibals and incest and the fact that I can't pronounce things in Scottish, <laughs> original Scottish properly. I can't translate things properly, even though it's quite obvious. I couldn't do that. So there we go. Brain is fully engaged. Not. We hope you all have spooky Halloweens. Do. Just don't eat people. Even though meat is meat and a man's got to eat, just don't eat people, please. <laughs> None of that. None of that. Have a have a nice a nice vegetarian salad <laughs> or something. So I actually we're gonna stay away from meat now because looking at the the notes and stuff in the preparation for this and seeing about organs being spliced, I was like, oh no. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm in the mood for a salad. I don't want any yeah. type of meat now. But, uh... <laughs> but thanks guys. I suppose we'll see you next time. We'll we'll see you next time. Yeah.